0: Howdy! Welcome back to another episode of our weekly podcast. We know you've got a buffet of media to choose from each week. That's why we put a lot of effort into finding stories from the Bible that have relevant lessons for us today. I hope you enjoy. There's really no way to describe it. One minute you have it all, and the next all is gone. And it's hard to describe the feeling of losing someone you love. That sting of death is unlike anything you can explain in the whole world and you can't put it into words you know death reminds us about love because we were created to love and when someone dies we find it so strange so foreign to not be able to show love and share love with that person ever again this past summer I had to bury one of our alpacas and these guys become our furry friends like our family and it was like losing someone you know very well and that you love and, and realizing that alpaca will never greet me again. So, so what is it about this idea of death that, that we find so hard to understand? Why does it feel so foreign? If you've ever lost anyone, you know that feeling that you'd do anything to see them again, anything to talk to them again, anything to hug them just one more time. You know, death is perhaps the only thing we humans have found no cure for. If you've ever lost a family or a friend, you know the pain of what I'm describing. But, but I want to talk to you about the idea of talking to our dead friends and family. So imagine if a visitor from another world were to come down, sit on our couch, turn on the TV, turn on Hulu, Netflix or Disney, well, especially Disney. There's a theme. There's this idea that I think they would start to pick up. And once I tell you, I think you're going to say, ah, yeah, that's true. It's the idea that somehow there is life beyond. Somehow death is not the end. And somehow, in ways we don't fully understand yet, death is still this mystery about contacting our loved ones and then contacting us. And it's such a beautiful thought. And here in America, we're pretty obsessed with this idea of death being nothing more than a gateway into the next life whether it's zombies the undead ghosts conjuring spirits or anything we celebrate around Halloween death has become big business well especially the scary side of it but then there's the other side the beautiful side the idea of reconnecting with our loved ones it's been a few years but I lost my dad in a car accident and there really isn't much you can say other than man I would trade the whole world just to talk to that person one more time. And usually our desire to talk to someone is to tell them how much we love them. That's why I think in most films, love and death are so interconnected. Now, if you've ever heard of the story of Scripture, the real meta-narrative, you would know that it's it's about this war between good and evil, love and selfishness, life and death. And that somehow it started before humans arose on the scene and with this war a large segment of the citizens of another realm were kicked out of the capital of this galactic realm and the bible basically tells us the inner workings of this war and it really comes down to who has the power over life and death the bible describes a day in our future when it will seem as though the dead from our time and from centuries in the past appear to us now the question we should be asking is if we're in the midst of this battle for our souls and our destiny could it be possible that this banished uh, legion race of beings could personify our loved ones with the hope and attempt of deceiving us you know if your loved one walked up behind you right now and sounded and smelled and seemed the same as they did while they were alive is there anything you know or believe that would help you determine if it was them or an imposter. And on that note, if death is just a portal to the next life, then why do we fight so hard to stay alive? You know, we love the idea of talking to the dead. It's in all of our art. And this idea of celebrating life after death, you know, it's been around for a long time. The Sumerians did, the Egyptians, the Persians, the Greeks. The idea of talking to the dead was found in Homer's Odyssey. You know, the Romans were into it. And now most Christians believe it. So you get this idea that this is chronic, and it's basically everyone loves this idea. So here's a few stats around this phenomenon. Pew Research estimated that nearly 1.4 million people. That's more people that are member than are members of my denomination. 1.4 million people in the United States identify as practicing witches. There are more witches in North America than there are mainline presbyterians and julie royce she talks about this idea that wicca is a form of paganism that it's effectively repackaged witchcraft for millennial consumption and and witchcraft and paganism they're no longer really satanic and demonic Uh, you know they're pre-christian traditions and they promote free thought and understanding earth and nature and i have to admit i'm really fascinated right now with this growing discussion and this tension i think of people who worship the Creator and those who worship creation. And I think it's really just the great struggle between what history calls the Gentiles and the heathen, or the pagans, versus those who were monotheistic. So, the American Religious Identification Survey gives this idea that Wicca has an average annual growth rate of 143%, and that its movement is doubling every 30 months, And there's a journal that describes this idea that basically Americans are identifying more and more with it and that because of that, some of the data is pointing to this could be the fastest-growing spiritual-slash-religious movement in America today. You know, the high holiday of Wicca, paganism, is the idea of Halloween. And it finds its origin 2,000 years ago when the, the Celts and the Druids, you know, they believed the boundary between this world and the underworld was thinner than usual around this time. And, and the spirits could come into the world more easily. Not just any spirits, but this supernatural race of spirits generally described as stunningly beautiful. But if they want, they can be terrible and hideous. And according to Patricia Monahan, uh, well, there was this point where it was a degraded version of the ancient gods also believed on this night was that the souls of dead relatives were thought to visit the homes of anyone who was celebrating the holiday and the holiday involved people going house to house in costume or disguise impersonating you know usually reciting verses or songs in exchange for food and some believe that this idea of the sweets came about because people would set out these soul cakes full of sweet fruit on All Hallows' Eve as an offering to the dead. and So this is where we get the idea of trick-or-treat and all this delicious candy we get to have. But Americans and mostly Protestants did not celebrate this holiday because they were convicted this was not something they should be a part of. But as culture began to change, we started to see it rise continually in the 18th, 19th, 20th centuries. You know, Halloween is typically branded as scary and spooky in the United States. But you contrast that with the Day of the Dead or Dia de los Muertos, uh, these festivities in in Mexico and Central and South America, as this high holiday where everyone can get together and celebrate this idea of our loved ones in in a variety of different ways. It's this idea of engaging with the dead uh, more often than just on one holiday But what if we did it throughout the year? You know, we see this idea growing in our literature, our television shows, our films we love to watch, and kids definitely are not excluded. You know, first there was Casper years ago. Now there was Coco more recently, the Pixar film that that generated more revenue in Mexico, I think, than, than any film in its history. And I think it's now in the top 100 films of all time. So what does the Bible say about this? Perhaps you care, perhaps you don't. But I at least think you owe it to yourself to know what the Bible says about this idea of talking to the dead. And there's a few reasons for that. One, nearly two billion people in the world today identify themselves as Christians, and most of them believe the dead can make contact with the living. Yet the Bible says those who die never return to the land of the living. But guess who it says do return? The fallen angels of heaven to deceive mankind you know the gospel of, of of jesus says he died for us and and that he gave us the opportunity to live forever and the gospel of lucifer says you know do as you wish live as you please we learned the first in john three sixteen. we learned the second in genesis 3 4 and we've got some links to some of these things in the comments below this video okay here's another reason it's not the dead we're talking to and that's probably the most startling thing that the bible has to say about this topic you're not talking to your dead relatives when you have these encounters according to scripture the dead sleep and await a resurrection they don't have thoughts or feelings they don't come back to talk to the living and if we go back to the beginning of the story the very first message shared by the fallen angel lucifer was to Eve in a garden through the medium of a serpent. And it was this, Eve, regardless of your actions, you'll never die. No matter what you do, you're going to live forever. And I think this is where we get the idea that death is just a doorway into the next state of consciousness. But if this is true, this is a question we should ask ourselves. Are we all saved? And if we are, how does that make you feel? Everyone ends up getting saved. Maybe that makes you feel good. Maybe that makes you wonder, Well, what about that person that abused you? Uh, What about Hitler? Uh, You know, what about all these people that do evil things in the world? I mean, they're going to be my neighbor in paradise? Well, they would be if there's no standard by which people are determined to live in paradise or not. So we have to ask ourselves, is there a standard? Is there any, any measurement or way in which some are saved and some are not? You know, I personally don't like the idea of living next to Hitler in paradise. And I think the reason this is so important is because It has so many ramifications. Are we judged? If so, by whom? Are we all saved? Why would someone not be saved? If we die and pass on to the next life or paradise, then why not expedite the process? Why do we fight off death so much in this world? Why don't we let the sick die faster? Why don't we stop looking for cures to diseases if all this bliss awaits us beyond the grave? These are the questions we should be asking as it relates with this subject. You know, it's easy to play with this idea, though, until you come face to face with it. So if you've got a Bible, if not, I'm going to read it, 1 Samuel chapter 28. There's the story of this, uh, this man who is a king. He's in despair. There's this army gathering against his country, against his kingdom. And in verse 3, we read about his friend Samuel dying. Samuel was like the prophet of Israel. And everything changes when someone close to you dies and nothing can prepare you for it. So all Israel has been mourning for the loss of Samuel. And Saul, he was known to have put all the mediums and, and the spiritists out of the land. And, and we learn these key details. He put them out for a reason, because there was a point where Saul had followed God's advice. And while he did, he had success. But the land is now filled with the Philistines, and, and their religion, like most heathen or pagan religions uh, around the world and in history, we're built on the belief that the dead can come back and talk to the living, and that they can even help us foretell future events. You know, if you had someone that could tell you what tomorrow may bring, you would absolutely want to know that. Even if it meant they were coming back from the dead to tell you. So the gods of the Old Testament, you know, these aren't just imaginary things of, of legend and myth. You know, talking about these gods, David tells us the history of the people and the great sin of King Saul. And scripture describes it like this. They did not destroy the people as the Lord had told them to, but they mixed with the nations and learned to do as they did. And then they served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to these demons and they poured out innocent blood. That's in Psalm 106. So these demons, these fallen angels, this legion race were the gods of the old testament and all these different gods were demons that somehow in some way had personified themselves at one point in history and then the people made an idol to this god this warrior who was really a demon and if the angels are in any way proportioned as scripture and and some uh some outside of scripture describe these beings are 12 16 18 feet tall and they're beautiful And in Deuteronomy 32 begins to describe that as people started to worship these beings, God was angry because they were sacrificing to demons and not gods. And then in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 18, this also tells us that these people, these nations were sacrificing their children to these entities. And in the New Testament, Paul says to us in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, That what the pagans were sacrificing to, they were really offering these sacrifices to demons and not to God. And so this is a profound idea. And I have to admit, when I learned this concept, that these weren't just ignorant people. They were worshiping beings with a ton of talent, a ton of skill, and a ton of wisdom. You know, even early church leaders like Justin Martyr and Tertullian, they held these ideas that the gods were actually demons. So here's the question. Why would ancient civilizations talk to these beings? Well, 2 Kings chapter 19 tells us that one angel in one night killed 185,000 soldiers. So you hear this talk of generals in wars in our recent history who were communing with, with these dead spirits that they believed were generals from past wars. It was to get power. So Saul, there's a reason he's doing this. You know He'd followed God in the beginning. He'd gotten rid of the mediums. He'd gotten rid of all these people that could conjure up the dead, the fortune tellers, the the necromancers, anyone that claimed to talk to the dead. But now it was totally different. And Saul's army, Israel, they're surrounded. Death seems imminent, and Saul is terrified. And so Saul prays, uh, and God doesn't answer. God doesn't answer by dreams, by the Urim, by the prophets. And Saul is desperate for answers, and what is he supposed to do? And sadly, we learn that God had rejected him earlier in the story, and Samuel has died, and he needs the voice of Samuel. When you lose someone close to you, you instantly start looking for someone that can make sense, and that can listen to you again, and that can hear you. I remember when I lost my dad, I remember thinking, I would do anything to talk to him. I knew the biblical teaching of the dead, but for months and months, I'd have these dreams about my dad, and it began to mess with my mind because I would see my dad in my dreams. I would talk to him, and it seemed so real. And it's really not until you lose someone that you realize the power of this love and and the power of loss. It really helps you begin to understand this this doctrine of Lucifer, uh, of of the, the deception of death. You know, a friend of mine recently shared a story with me about a young boy in Africa. He loved to spend time with his grandmother. And she'd read stories to him, and she'd play with him, and he just loved his grandma. He'd sit by her while she would read these stories, rocking in this chair, and and then sadly the stories went that she got sick and she died. And the mom knew how close the boy was with the grandmother, and, and for weeks she noticed him, you know, He would leave the house, but then he'd come back in and he'd have a smile on his face and he'd head straight to his room. And after a while, she could not figure out why was he doing this. And so finally she asked him, why are you going straight to your room? And why do you seem so happy? And he says, because grandma rubs my head and she reads stories to me. You know, life is made up of these concepts and ideas which equate to emotions and actions in each of us. And you and i have a choice no one else can make that choice for us no one else can determine what we do with these feelings that come before us and and so i want to finish this story with you this is in first samuel chapter 28 samuel has died saul is desperate all the army is afraid in uh, verse 5 and then god hasn't answered him in verse 6 And verse 7 is interesting. Saul said to his servants, find me a woman who's a medium. They've been banned from the land. And it's interesting how quickly they say, oh yeah, there's a woman, in verse 7, there's a woman uh, at Endor. So you know that they weren't totally out of the land. People were still messing with stuff. So Saul disguises himself. He puts on other clothes. He goes to this woman, which I always thought was in a cave, but uh, I don't know why I thought that. But it looks like they're in her house. And he basically says, hey, conduct a seance for me. Bring up for me the one I shall name to you. And then she reminds him, you know, Saul has kicked all these people out of the land. And he says, I swear by the Lord, nobody's going to do anything to you. And when the woman saw Samuel come up out of the ground, she saw, uh, excuse me, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul saying, why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. And then he begins to try and just calm her down. What did you see? Well, I saw an old man and he he was covered with a mantle. And then it says, and Saul perceived that it was Samuel. He stooped with his face to the ground. He begins to have this interaction with this being that he believes is Samuel. Yet we have so much of scripture to tell us it's not Samuel. And yet this being gives him no encouragement, no hope. And he dies the next day in battle. We, we see some of these stories. I, I can't tell you how many people come to me and say, oh, well, how about the rich man and Lazarus? Clearly, this is the idea that once we die, we go straight to heaven, we go straight to hell. The Bible is so clear on this idea, and I think we get such a more beautiful picture of God if we understood. The dead are sleeping. And, and I hope you will dig into this subject even more to find that peace that God has us in His hands, both while we are alive and while we sleep, awaiting the day when he wakes us up. And and I think he tells us this because he knows there's an in-game scenario that is coming where Lucifer is going to deceive as many as he can to try and lead them away from God. And you and I have a choice. We have to find a filter in the world. And there's one source that is a good filter because it doesn't change with the daily news. And I hope that will bring you encouragement, and I hope that you'll continue to study this idea Click the link below and you're going to learn more about this. Thank you so much for listening. We record these messages each week at the Seventh-day Adventist Church in Adairsville. And if you're ever in the area, we'd love to see you. Stop in and say hi and enjoy some good Southern food with us. We'll see you next week.